This is Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 116, Maximizing Learning and Engagement When Facilitating Webinars, with our guest, Tali Baroer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is Greg Gazin. Today, we have another exciting guest, Tally Baror. She's been a trainer and facilitator for over 20 years in both Canada and the U.S., where she's led training sessions for thousands of leaders across a wide range of industries. For the past decade, Tally has been the lead facilitator for Crestcom Canada. In 2018, Tally was appointed the lead global facilitator for all of Crestcom International. In 2019, she was the recipient of Crestcom International's Facilitation Award for Improving Facilitation. With a background in both business and performance, Tally's approach is creative and fun. Tally is a firm believer in lifelong learning for herself too. She recently completed a Business Essential Certificate in Communication and Leadership from McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. On the line from Burlington, Ontario, Canada, Tally Baror, welcome to Toastcaster. It is an absolute pleasure to be here and an honor to be a part of the guests that you've had. I've had an opportunity to listen to several of the podcasts and they're great. So it's really a privilege to be asked. Thank you so much for having me. Most welcome. For those of you listening, I want to set the scene as to how Tally came about being our guest today. Let's say not that long ago, I had a day where I had three events online. One was a conference call and there were two webinars. Now, one of the webinars was 45 minutes and it started off with the usual banter, the welcome. 10 to 15 minutes in, my mind was just wandering. I went and started to check my email, checking the news off on social media And then probably 15 minutes in, I just kind of dropped off. And I think some of you have been there. Earlier in the day, I had been on another webinar. Now, this was no video, just voice, PowerPoint. And I stayed glued to the screen, maybe grabbed some water quickly. And this webinar was double the length. And then I thought to myself, oh, I wish every webinar was like this, even sometimes the ones I do myself. And that's how our guest came about today. I thought... This would be a great tie-in to episode 13, where we talked about the virtual stage and presenting online. Full disclosure, I am in fact a facilitator for Crestcom and have been for almost four years. So I've sat through where I've listened to 40 of these presentations. Each month, Tally delivers a call, which amounts to a webinar that sometimes can last for two and a half hours, but yet she keeps it fresh and engaged. And even though I've heard some of these same ones before... So I thought it was really, really important to have her on the show. So I'm really grateful that she's going to be delivering some tips for training facilitators remotely on content delivery. Tally Baror, how do you do it? How, how do you prepare for these sessions? You do this every single month. And as I mentioned, some of them could be two and a half hours long. What do you do? It's interesting. I was thinking about this as I was preparing a little bit. And of course, that's always one of the biggest keys is preparation for facilitation. And I was thinking, what is the difference between doing the live sessions versus the webinar? Because the webinar is fairly recent that I've been doing some of that as well. And the first thing I decided is that I will do this as though anytime I'm doing a webinar, I will do it as though it is a live 
presentation. If you think about it, there are a couple of things to consider. One is we need to share, I need to share some content, some learning with my participants, my listeners. And the other thing is that the only way to do that is if you in fact are keeping people engaged. And so that is not going to be any different for the webinar. So I assume that my audience is live. I try to visualize them. I consider the fact that we have lost the benefit of body language, which of course we know is such a huge part of how a message gets across. And so I'm a firm believer that even though you may not be able to see someone's body language, you can still sense it, hear it, feel it. So I'm very conscious of making sure that my body language is at the ready and not sitting back and slacking into my chair, but really sitting well poised. And that seems to make a big difference to allow the dynamics that I'm trying to convey to come across. So I think those are the two big things. Consider that they are live and how do I keep them engaged considering I need to compensate a bit for body language. So that was sort of my starting point when it comes to how to conduct these. So are you moving around in your chair and do you, do you actually do a run through? I do not really go to that extent. And I do think that that is because of the amount of time that I've done this and the experience that I can emulate that feeling without it. But I certainly would recommend to people in general, if they're just starting out, absolutely as much as the microphone will allow and the technical side will work, yes, try to be moving a little bit to be able to really bring out that strength of the body language. I, I managed to now do this without so much of physically moving, but it's really just reminding myself, even now as I'm speaking, my shoulders are sort of moving up and down, I'm nodding to myself. So I'm really assuming that you're in front of me, Greg, and that we're having a conversation face to face. So you're doing the movements, but I'm also noticing the voice. You're varying your voice to for impact, for effect. Absolutely. And this is, of course, the one thing that we do still have over a webinar is that voice, that tool. So I mentioned body language. And as listeners may know uh, to this podcast, body language represents 55% of the believability of a message when it comes across. Tone of voice is at 38% and words are just 7%. So with that 38%, tone, I really need to make up for what I've lost in body language. So absolutely, I think the greatest tool that you can have on this side of the microphone and speaking to people is altering your voice. So you've got the pauses, you've got the exclamations, questions, all those things enrich the learning and most importantly, keep that listener engaged. If you are very monotone in your entire presentation, you could understand that this would not be very stimulating to your listeners, right? So it's really just about using that voice as a tool to be dynamic. And it's coming across, I looked on your LinkedIn profile and I noticed that you had a background in, in theater and performance. Yes, I do. That is my absolute second love. And uh, whenever I can, I try to participate in community theater 
I think it has been a very interesting thing to combine with this facilitation. And one thing that I learned long ago from a mentor, because I was into performance, I was used to the spotlight and I liked the spotlight. And this is also something on my LinkedIn profile is that I have learned that when you're facilitating, the spotlight cannot be on you. You need to turn the spotlight onto your participants, or in this case with a webinar, your listeners. And that's really important. And I think an important part of how you can keep it dynamic and engaging is that you involve the people on the other side. Much like the example of the monotone voice, right? That likely gets you to, you know, and Greg chuckled there, you, you know, a little bit. And that's what you want to be doing. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Staying with the theme of visualization, you're visualizing the audience. So are you focusing at that point on the content per se in terms of the audience? Or are you focusing perhaps on the demographic? Because I know for a fact that you do a Canada-wide call, for example, or Canada-wide webinar, but you also do an international call. So do you do things a little bit differently? Are you visualizing a little bit differently? I am. Certainly with the global call, one of the first things I say is that I will be speaking quite slowly because I'd like to accommodate those for whom English is not the first language. And so, yes, I'm very sensitive to the different audiences and the, the jargon that's more local to my Canadian group and things that we're used to. So certainly... I still do pay very close attention to who my audience is. For my last global call, just for fun, I looked up how to say hello and goodbye in several different languages, and I started the webinar with hello in many languages, and then at the end, I closed it. And I think those are the things, again, that just keep it a little fresh and, and interesting for the audience. That's incredible. Again, sticking with that visualization, I'm still thinking, I'm picturing you picturing us are you also perhaps looking at the reaction? You probably have people on mute, so you can't tell the reaction, but are you assuming some type of reaction after something that you're saying? Absolutely. The nice thing is, again, with the experience is that I know how the participants respond to things in my sessions and live sessions. I have some feel of how the facilitators, the audience on these webinars, how they will react. So yes, and more so, I actually pause fairly frequently in my webinar to say, does anybody have any comments or questions? Please unmute yourself if you do, and I'll call upon you. So that is a very big part of keeping their voice heard, keeping them engaged and involved, and not just having it be a one-person show. You brought up a good point, pausing. How often do you do that, or does it depend on the content? Does it depend on the length of the presentation? I think it's a good question. I think I pause every exercise or two sort of at a logical place where people may have comments or questions. So it's not always the same. It's not a certain number of minutes or a certain number of slides, but just at a, a place that seems logical to stop. Okay. So again, by visualizing the audience, you're also thinking in the back of their mind at this point, they probably have a question or perhaps I need to elaborate or, or explain something a little better. Absolutely. And I'll tell you a couple other things at this point that I really try to keep in mind as far as really thinking of my audience. There are a couple of concepts, and these come from one of our past faculty members, Dr. Terry Paulson, that I've always found really interesting. I also do have some listeners on my call, usually some of my facilitators, as you've mentioned, Greg, who have already heard some of this material before. And so I need to figure out how to keep them and the others engaged. And these are the two strategies I've picked up that I love. The reality is that 
everybody on the call is, as you already mentioned, kind of doing selective listening and maybe moving off and their minds wandering a bit. So I need to make sure that I keep bringing people back. And the ways to do it, the following. One is if you use two words, one at a time, but one of these two words that tends to grab people's attention and bring them back to focus. And those words are important and different. So every time when you're saying something and you get to a point where you really want to bring them back because you realize, that's right, it's been about a minute and they're probably wandering a bit. What I try to say is, all right, this is something that's different because that piques people's interest and they realize, okay, I don't have any data about this information. I better focus. And important is the other one because maybe I've heard some of this, but wait a minute, she's saying this is important. I should clue in. So those two words, important and different are really good in thinking about your audience and how they may be reacting. The other piece is something called the flapper valve, also from Dr. Terry Paulson. This is fascinating. Whenever we are listening to something, there's a certain amount of time before our brain kind of clicks off and starts to focus on something else. This is sort of like that squirrel moment where, <laughs> right, our brains are, wait a minute, I, I see something shiny. And so we, when we're delivering webinars, we have to recognize that this is happening. And it is quite amazing. The amount of time is very little. It's 14 to 17 seconds that this flapper valve happens in our brains. So whenever we are listening, every 14 to 17 seconds, our brain wants to wander off. So the person who is leading this webinar or even live presentation better grab my attention. So again, in thinking of my listeners, I'm always remembering the flapper valve. You can't really alter things between 14 and 17 seconds every single time, but certainly this is where altering your voice, changing it once in a while to the video so they can actually see an image that you're holding up, doing something that is going to keep them engaged and coming back to you to listen some more. So those are a few things that I have found extremely helpful in keeping that audience in mind. It's interesting because the way you're doing this, you're doing it in the webinar. And also you're also giving the facilitators food for thought in terms of doing the same for their live audiences. Absolutely. We, in fact, instruct people as part of listening, a listening process to, to remember the flapper valve. I never thought of it specifically about different and important, but now that you mention it, I can see it. I can remember it. Important, I find, again, important that you cover, important that we say, important that we listen, or important to give back to the audience. Different is also interesting as well, simply because different is, you could look at it two ways. One, it could be just a different way of seeing something. But also, again, given the fact that perhaps some of the monthly calls may have been calls that other people have been on before, there might be a different way of doing things, or maybe after some feedback, you decide to do things a little differently. I'll have to highlight those in my notes. Important and different. I like that. They really are great. And I will tell you, live audiences as well, if you're finding that you're sort of losing the crowd a bit, if you say, hey, folks, the next thing I'm about to say is different, whoop, you get all their faces looking at you. So it works really well. So besides different and important, what are some of the other ways that you can keep things interesting and fresh? Again, in recognizing the way the people listen or don't really listen or the very lack of focus that people have. So I'll tell you a little bit about part of what I do, as we've already said, and it's worth repeating, 
people listen selectively. So again, with that important, that different, they can jump in. This is something I got from a colleague in the U.S., and it find it really helpful. So what I try to do is part of the process of the webinars, there are four key things that I will mention, and they are simply designed so that those who have been on the calls before realize, oh, now this is coming. So they sort of know if this is something that's really important for them, again, to listen to. And these are the four things. One is a pre-frame. I will start with saying, all right, the pre-frame for this module content, whatever it may be, is, and that's when you, I deliver something that uh, will give them some, a sentence or two about the topic. So this is such a timely topic. It will give you tools that you can use immediately. So a bit of a pre-frame about it. And so that right away, the word pre-frame, hopefully when people hear that, they know, oh, now we're going to get that little intro. Another thing that I use is process point. So anytime I'm about to give them something about the logistics of delivery of an exercise, I always preface with, here's a great process point. That way, those who've delivered it before, or if they haven't delivered before, again, they can clue into those keywords process point and know, oh, I really want a good hint about the process point for this particular exercise. And there are two others. One is potential pitfalls. So I will always alert people, hey, this is a potential pitfall of what may happen here. You may not get any responses immediately, or you may need to provide a couple of examples. So a potential pitfall where things may not go quite as you expect. And lastly, I use the term moment of magic so that this alerts the facilitator to realize there's a real opportunity for learning here. There's a real aha moment that participants may get. So I try to label that because, again, the listener is listening sometimes for that. And they'll know I really want to keep an ear out for those moments of magic and the process points. So I had never explained to the listeners that I'm using those four things. However, I'm always in every webinar, those little words come up. And I'm hoping that they're triggers for the listener to think, oh, yeah, that, that preframe. Yes. To tell me. Tell me what this is all about and so forth. So I just find those really help me also, and they help me recognize what I need to highlight. These are really the important things, right? You want to know as a listener to a webinar, what am I getting out of this? What's the greatest thing? What's a magic moment? What could be a potential pitfall? How may this exercise get derailed? And what's a really helpful process point? So those tend to really help. They're alliterative. Is yes. That, is that the term? <laughs> it is. Alliterations, moments of magic. I'm going to have to listen for that. I think our next call is coming up in a couple of weeks, is it not? It is. And that's exactly what I'm curious to see if you've actually noticed that. And so you'll have to absolutely tell me after that call if, in fact, you do clue into those. And uh, I'll bet I'll bet you do. So I'll be noting things that are important and different. <laughs> you got it. That's right. All my secrets right here. Now, you had already mentioned a couple of things in terms of keeping it interactive, getting some feedback, et cetera. Are there any other techniques or tips that you do to keep these sessions interactive? Interestingly enough, I do not use some of the features that are available on these webinars. So you have features where people can chat, where people can raise a hand, you can do polling of your audience. And I know many people who use them very successfully and really like them. For me, I actually find them that they can detract from the engagement of my listeners. So I have made a point as part of the protocol 
when I start the call, and that's what I always start with is how are we going to run this call? I advise everyone that they should be on mute and in order to avoid background noise and any feedback, I indicate that we are not going to be using the chat, the raise your hand, and there's a really important reason or a couple actually, but one of them is that it's very difficult for the person running the webinar to be on top of trying to engage the audience, the listeners, but also reading any chats or seeing if any hands are raised. So I have found through experience that using those actually detracts from engagement. And I'd rather everyone was focused in one place and that we had a way of people being able to contribute. So as we've already said, we pause every few minutes to get feedback, to get comments. And that is another great way to keep them engaged and not having those disruptions because that can be extremely distracting when I'm trying to look over and see, ooh, someone's asked me a question. So yes, there are other devices that people use very successfully. I actually find they detract from keeping the group engaged. Fair enough. I think that the sessions that we tune into, I, I certainly agree. I have seen them work in other areas. And in most cases, it's where there's a lot of back and forth Q&A. And I find in those particular cases, usually the presenter has a moderator of some sort sort of monitoring it, which really probably wouldn't make sense in our environment. Exactly right. And that's why I say it absolutely can work and work well. And without that extra person, it's really quite a challenge to try to keep on top of all of those things. Do you have sort of a formal open that you use in a formal close? I do always try to have, again, part of that is the pre-frame of setting things up. Generally speaking, yes, I do have. And it's interesting because I used to, when I first started with these webinars, and this is an important note of caution, a potential pitfall, if I may, what I have found in doing a, an opening for this is that I have done them and they can last 10 to 15 minutes by the time you get through the protocol, the rules, how we're going to do this, how it will work, that I'm recording it, that you can. I lost people when I started doing this and I always collect feedback and that was part of the feedback. You have got to shorten that intro. So I now have it down to maybe 60 seconds of the really pertinent information and I send out ahead of time the actual information for the protocol. The idea there is just to make sure, again, people are very clear on what needs to happen. You all need to be on mute. I will give you an opportunity and ask you to unmute yourself when there is an opportunity to speak. So really, I find the intro is just to set up the technical side. I also like to get on the call a few minutes early just to ensure usually somebody else is early so I can just test the microphone. Can you hear me? Can I hear you? Those types of things. And one critical note that I have to make to myself every time, because these calls, we record them, is a note that says press record. Because oh, yes. as silly as it may sound, that is where I, I've, a couple of times I have not done that. And 15 minutes into it, I suddenly realize, uh oh, didn't press record. Those types of things that to set it up for success in advising them, we are not using the chat functions, all this, I find really, really important to manage the crowd, whether you have five people on or 25 people on, and it tends to work really well. Sometimes we forget to mute, even though we've done it so many times, even myself, it's like, oh, I'm sure I pressed the mute button, but perhaps I didn't. Yeah. And that's also a reminder, by the way, not everybody knows where the mute button is. So it is important to just let them know it's that green button on the right hand or wherever it is. Those little things we need to think of the same way 
if we had a live audience, what do they need to know? What's important? Right. That sort of thing I find important, again, to help them engage is to not have them have the opportunity to disengage by not giving them instructions when they need them. And how do you close? Do you have a formal close that you use each time? For the close, my big thing is always to open it up to anybody who wishes to stay on longer. If they have any questions or anything, please, I will stay on the line until everyone has left the call. I always thank everyone for their participation and their input. Really, one of the other keys to keeping people engaged, and we've mentioned it here and there today, giving them the opportunity to speak. And I want to hear their tips and their tools and their strategies uh, and their moments of magic, because again, it is not intended to just be a one-sided thing. So part of my close is always inviting any other feedback, any other tips, tactics that you have used before that you think will be good. In our global call, we have an official survey that goes with a we- uh, go-to webinar. So we're always getting feedback on how we can improve. And that is how I find out that my, my intro was way too long. For example, here's a tough one. And I'm curious as to what you're going to say. How do you deal with disruptions and distractions? That's a really interesting one, because, of course, in the live with a live audience, that happens quite often. And, of course, you need to deal with it in a way that uh, is comfortable for everyone and always find the positive and whatever it may be. When it comes to these webinars, I actually realized that I I didn't know I actually did this, but I realized that I try to create an environment where these things will simply not happen. Again, the things that may go wrong and be distractions or disruptions are things like the technical issues, the feedback sounds, all those types of things. And as I said, we address those at the beginning in the protocol. And absolutely, if anything comes up, and you'll know this, Greg, that I've done this, if anytime there is a shuffle or a noise, I will stop and say, hey, Greg, it looks like you're unmuted. Please mute yourself. That is one way to do it is simply not let them happen. Just deal with it before, in your prep or after. And the other part of how I try to mitigate distractions or disruptions is, as I said, I build them in. I allow people to speak, to ask questions, to make comments throughout. It's not a save it to the end. It's not them sitting there desperately wanting to say something And I think that has helped a lot, that stopping quite frequently and allowing and asking for their involvement. If you think about it, that really reduces their need to jump in and, and so forth. So I think that's the biggest strategy is prepare for it, deal with it ahead of time in the web type platform. We were talking a little bit about the live facilitation. Perhaps you can just let us know a little bit about what the Crestcom program actually is. Crestcom's leadership development program is really tremendous. I have seen thousands of people go through it with great, great success for themselves personally and for their companies. And it's a leadership development program, which really is a process rather than an event training. So you don't just come once or twice for a weekend or a week and get tons of great information. Instead, the process is that you come every month and get a small portion of learning You then have some time to implement that learning before you come back and get a little bit more of a dose for learning. So we really liken it to antibiotics. It's unlikely that a doctor will say, here are your antibiotics, take them all tonight, let me know how you feel tomorrow. 
It is much more about take this and measure doses over a long period of time. So our leadership development program is 12 months long, four hours per month. In each four hours, you get two different topics. And what we do is we obviously provide some great information. We have a faculty member who's a subject matter expert in video format, usually about 20 minutes long. And then the rest of the time, we're spending hands-on activities, exercises, energizing type of experiential learning for participants. And we expect that each participant, after each module, will take away one key point and turn that into an action plan. And that action plan will outline specifically, sort of in the smart type of goal way, of what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how and what the benefit, the impact will be. They have about 30 days to implement these before they come back and get their two next golden nuggets for their action plans. So we envision people coming with a toolbox, already have some tools for leadership and management, but maybe some of the tools are a bit rusty or maybe they need some new ones, get rid of some old ways, and we're building constantly. That's how the program works, and it has had, as I said, great success. So the monthly calls that we have is actually the facilitator training on each of the modules. So every month we cover two different topics. Exactly. So we're going to, each month, we look at the two upcoming topics for that month. And have we made any changes from last year? Our topics do change every quarter or so. We get a new topic, so we do need to sort of do a fresh look at the new content. The call is intended for those local and global facilitators. Because we are all over the world, we want to make sure there is some consistency to delivery. For the benefit of our listeners, the concepts that Tally is sharing with us today really can be used in any type of delivery. Perhaps, Tally, you can just leave us with one thought for this session. It's really thinking about what are we trying to do with our audience or our listeners. We're trying to convey content and or learning. And the only way we're going to do this is via engaging them. So there's no difference between doing it online or live, except for the challenge of you don't have that body language. You can't grab that person's eyes to have a look or do some sort of gesture to get them back with you. You absolutely need to use these tools that we've talked about to make sure that you keep it compelling, interesting. Finally, how people can get a hold of you or find out more? The easiest way to reach me is through my email, and that is tallybarorr at crestcom.ca. Great. We'll also put that into the show notes. Tally Barr, it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Thanks for being on the program. It has absolutely been the same for me. Thank you so, so much for uh, inviting me to speak on this. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. 
a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.